Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment three, Steve Pyatt. He's the co-founder of Save Our Sonics. They're a group trying to keep basketball in Seattle where they've been since 1967. Pyatt has a good grasp on the lay of the land in Seattle. We're going to catch up with him and get the latest on the Sonics in segment three. In segment four, Sports Sense. Charles Coplin, he's the VP of Programming for the NFL Network. The network has had its share of problems with distribution. They want to be much more widespread than they are. We'll talk about distribution. We'll also talk about the fact that the network is set to start airing live games beginning on Thanksgiving night when the Colts play the Falcons in Atlanta. Don't miss my conversation with Charles Coplin of the NFL Network in segment four. A couple of notes, visit my sports business blog at sportsbusinessradio.com. Listen to SBR On Demand, just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. So the NFL Network continues to have a tough time getting wider distribution as they battle with cable companies, mainly Comcast, Time Warner, and Cablevision. The network is currently carried in about 35 million homes, and that number is down from 41 million after they were moved from Comcast's basic tier to the sports tier. Now, Comcast said it made the switch because they would have had to increase the cable bill of each of its consumers in order to keep the channel on its basic digital tier. Instead, fans who wish to have the channel can order it in a separate sports tier package on cable or switch to a satellite provider like DirecTV, which has an exclusive deal with the NFL for its Sunday ticket plan that includes the channel in its basic packages. Now, Cowboys owner Jerry Jones, who is chairing the broadcast committee for the NFL, spoke out about the network this week, said the NFL has plans to possibly increase the number of regular season games and non-league content carried on the NFL network. The pressure on cable operators will increase in anticipation of the NFL network's telecast of the Packers-Cowboys on November 29th, and then the Patriots end their regular season and could be going for a perfect season against the Giants on December 29th, and that would put even more pressure on cable operators. Lots of headlines coming up. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back with you. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. 
back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, big TV ratings for CBS last weekend. They posted a 20.1 final Nielsen rating for the Patriots Colts on Sunday, ranking as the highest rated regular season Sunday afternoon NFL telecast on any network since Fox pulled a 20.2 rating for the Cowboys 49ers game in 1996. 33.8 million viewers tuned in to watch the Patriots Colts last Sunday. Bobby, uh, just, you know, we talked about the fact that it might get a 20 rating, and it did, and advertisers paid $500,000 for a 30-second spot. If you buy a spot in the Super Bowl, it's $2.7 million, so a relative bargain in a very high-rated game. Absolutely. It's almost like you're getting you know a free commercial. Why not? The thing that was great about the game, though, is it was kind of close. So people were constantly tuning in to constantly get updated the score. I know the NASCAR and a couple other sporting events were going up against a head-to-head, but, I mean, this football game blew those guys out of the water. Now, it's another interesting thing to note. NBC's Cowboys-Eagles game averaged a 10.2 rating. That's about 16.5 million viewers this past Sunday night. So far during this season, NBC's Sunday night football is down 11% from last year. So despite the fact that they bring Keith Olbermann on board and do some things to jazz up their broadcast, Tiki Barber, they're down 11% in the TV ratings this year. Headline number two, the Dodgers formally introduced Joe Torre as their manager this week. Torre signed a three-year, $13 million contract to replace Grady Little. Now, Torre is going to be very active in the team's personnel decisions because he's got a three-year contract, and it dwarfs the one-year deal owned by general manager Ned Coletti. Also, Torrey threw his weight around and got two of his buddies hired, Don Mattingly and Larry Boa. They will be bench coaches for him. They were with him in New York, and they will each earn about $400,000 annually. Now, this press conference took place at Dodger Stadium this past week. It was on the field. It lasted over three hours, and 190 credentialed media members were in attendance. By comparison, when Grady Little was hired, there were about 12 media people in attendance. So, Torrey is perfect for L.A. He is going to help them shine the spotlight on their organization, and really he helps give them a lot of credibility. Our next headline, Major League Baseball steroid investigator George Mitchell has reportedly set Saturday as the final day his commission will accept any interviews, documents, test results, or other information relative to the probe he's been conducting. A source said that the Major League Baseball Players Association will be able to review the Mitchell report before it is released to ensure compliance with the collective bargaining agreement. Now, on a related note, the sentencing of former Mets clubhouse attendant Kurt Radomski, who distributed steroids to several major league players, was delayed until December 14th so he can continue assisting prosecutors and Mitchell in their investigations. And supposedly 11 of the current free agents that are on the market are going to be in George Mitchell's report that is supposed to be released before the end of the year. Earlier this week, right fielder Jose Guillen, who played for the Mariners this past season, uh, it was found that he bought over $19,000 worth of steroids in HGH. Former major leaguers Matt Williams and Ishmael Valdez each bought over $11,000 worth of drugs in 2002. Read my blog at sportsbusinessradio.com for more thoughts on this. 
you know, HGH wasn't outlined or banned until uh, 2005. So it's going to be interesting to see how uh, everything is reflected on these guys who used it before it was outlawed. Our next headline, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell has decided to let his season-long suspension of Titans cornerback Pac-Man Jones stand. Jones, who was looking to be reinstated after the team's 10th game, asked for leniency last Friday in a meeting with Goodell, but the two ongoing legal cases pending against Jones uh, didn't help him at all, and Goodell clearly wasn't going to change his mind, so Pac-Man will not be able to play until next season. Our next headline, Saints running back Reggie Bush has fired his marketing agent, Mike Ornstein, who made him arguably the most marketed NFL rookie in history last year. He had a number of endorsement deals with major corporations, including Subway, Hummer, Pepsi, Adidas, and Visa. So no more uh, deals for Reggie Bush with Mike Ornstein. It'll be interesting to see who he winds up with next as his marketing agent because he's still one of the most marketable players in all of the NFL. Now, coming up in our next segment, I'm going to be talking to a gentleman named Steve Pyatt. He's the co-founder of Save Our Sonics. It's a grassroots organization that's trying to save NBA basketball in the city that it's resided in since 1967. Pyatt is an interesting story himself. He's a real estate developer who was involved with the Save the Seahawks campaign in the 90s when it looked as if former owner Ken Baring was going to move the team from Seattle to Los Angeles Ultimately, Paul Allen stepped in, bought the team, and made an agreement for financing Quest Field. So Pyatt's been down this road before. He remains optimistic that the Sonics will remain in Seattle and that a new arena will ultimately be built despite the fact that NBA Commissioner David Stern came out this week and said that if the Supersonics leave Seattle, NBA basketball will not return to the Emerald City. Bobby, this is going to be really interesting to see how this works out because, you know, Clay Bennett and David Stern are close. As a matter of fact, David Stern presented uh, Clay Bennett in Oklahoma at his Oklahoma Sports Hall of Fame induction, and he came and drew the hard line this week saying to the people in Seattle, if you lose your team, you're not getting one back. And it's funny because you pointed out to me, and I you know, didn't realize this, but Stern has no leveraging point here. He can talk all he wants, but it's really not up to him. It's all up to the owners. Yeah, you know, people forget that David Stern and all the commissioners work for the owners. And what happens here is if uh, they want, if an owner wants to relocate, you've got to put it before the board of governors, the owners. They vote on it. If they pass it, then it gets done. So David Stern can take this hardline stance. I think he's trying to light a fire under the politicians and the decision makers in Seattle. But at the end of the day, it's going to be Bennett's fellow owners that decide the fate and whether he gets to relocate or not. But first, we've got to figure out whether or not the lease that is at Key Arena, whether Bennett's going to be held to that lease through 2009, 2010, or whether he'll be able to walk and pay it off at the end of this year and move to Oklahoma as early as next year. So coming up next, Steve Pyatt, the co-founder of Save Our Sonics. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? 
Probably none. <laughs> Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday, (laughs) or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Steve Pyatt. He's the co-founder of the group Save Our Sonics. It's a Seattle-based group trying to keep the Sonics in the city they've played in since 1967. SaveOurSonics.org is their website. Steve, thanks for joining me. Uh, thank you for having me. So first, tell us how Save Our Sonics was formed. How did you get involved with this effort? Well, I'd uh, been involved in the campaign to keep the Seahawks here back in the mid-'90s and uh, uh, sitting around on the couch enjoying the fact that for one summer, finally, I was going to get to use my motorcycle and the boat, and I had my fiance sitting next to me, and we were going to enjoy a good time that summer. And the evening news had... Uh, announcement that the sign's been sold to an Oklahoma City businessman, and I just turned and I shook my hand and I said, oh, no, I don't need this. And she goes, what? I said, my phone's going to start ringing any moment. Sure enough, it did, and uh, uh, Brian Robinson and myself co-founded the group that very evening, and we got rolling the next day. So uh, that's that's pretty much how we got started. So. Let's talk about the the fan base up there in Seattle. It seems like there's a passionate base like yourself. They want to see the Sonics stay. But then there's another group that's really indifferent. Maybe they don't have as much of a desire to see a new arena built if that means that they've got to pay for this arena. After all, like you just said, uh, taxpayers have paid for Safeco Field for the Mariners, Quest Field for the Seahawks. Are people tapped out up there? Well, you know, they're they're weary a little bit of the, the process. You know, it's uh, a sad state of affairs in sports that, you know, when your teams are at their lowest point financially, they come in and try to arm wrestle you guys for, you know, for more public money. But, uh, you know, while we have a very spirited debate over these things, we did end up approving uh, Safeco Field, which has been a tremendous financial success, both for the Mariners and for the region. And then we did again with a public vote on Quest Field, and that has been an incredible success both financially for the Seahawks and for the region. And both teams got vaulted to the top of their respective sports because we built them state-of-the-art facilities that we'll be able to have for you know, extended periods of time because they can be reprogrammed. The problem we made with the uh, Key Arena back in the mid-'90s was a compromise deal was done because the city of Seattle needed to keep the existing roof from Key Arena, so they and they needed it to be in Seattle Center to keep that financially viable. And the ownership of the team wanted a college basketball atmosphere. And so we got what is an absolutely incredible place to watch a basketball game, but it lacks all that extra revenue-generating ability that the state-of-the-art arenas have. It was a compromise that the team, the NBA, and the city all agreed to 12 years ago, and now we have a, you know, an ownership group that's like, well, I'll use that as an excuse to try to sneak this team out of town. 
So we will have an extended debate over this, but in the long run, we will end up building a state-of-the-art building, one that can be reprogrammed that will last us for decades down the road, and you'll see the Sonics go from being a you know a really sad team the way they've been the last few years to being a perennial contender. You know, Steve, Seattle is such a key market for the NBA. I've heard you state that the population in the Seattle region which includes a reported 70,000 millionaires, is going to grow by as many people in the next decade as who live in all of Oklahoma City. Then, you know, on top of that, it's such a gateway to Asia, and obviously the NBA is trying to get into China and do other things there. Talk about the Seattle market for a moment, if you would, and, and I would think it's got to be so important to the NBA and the future success of the league. It really is. You know, you look at what's going on down in Sacramento right now, and they're new, need a new facilities down there, but their economy is really struggling, uh, and it, it's a tough time for them. And we are absolutely exploding up here. If you go to the city of Bellevue, you'll see 13 tower cranes there right now. Uh, I've been told that's the most west of the Mississippi that any city has. Uh, it's, it's growing in leaps and bounds. We have uh, you know, the technology companies, they're going incredible. We have biotech uh, companies, they're going incredible. Uh, this, this region's just exploding, and it's, you know, we have, um, this is a good example of why we need a slightly different type of building, because you have 70,000 millionaires who may want to come to a game and hang out with each other in clubs, but they don't necessarily want suites, because it's not a big corporate thing, because these millionaires are, are, a lot of them are still employees, amazingly enough. Um, so it's a different atmosphere, and it's a different thing we need. But, again, the Mariners have exploited this market, uh, and I mean in a good way, and by expanding into the Pacific Rim and, you know, with Ichiro and all the stuff they've got here. And it is absolutely amazing to watch, you know, plain loads of people come in from, you know, Japan or wherever to watch baseball games and do other things in the area and then leave. So our primary funding mechanism is based on hotel motel taxes and rental car taxes, which are primarily paid for by these folks that come in for out of town. So that's why when push comes to shove to this thing, we will we'll get down to where we will end up building a new arena. Um, we just have to make sure the NBA remembers that this is a key cog to the Pacific Rim and that the rivalry between Portland and Seattle with Odin and Durant could be you know the Celtic Lakers of the you know the new century. I'm joined by Steve Pyatt. He's the co-founder of the group Save Our Sonics. Steve, last week Clay Bennett informed the NBA he'd be filing an application to relocate the team to Oklahoma City. Really, this wasn't a huge shock to anybody. He had given himself a self-imposed deadline of October 31st if a new arena deal wasn't in place. I guess the thing that's a little surprising here is he's looking to move the Sonics from the 14th biggest media market to the 45th biggest media market in the country. Is he doing this just because he wants to be the hometown hero in Oklahoma City? Because it certainly doesn't make much sense financially. Uh, no, from a financial standpoint, this is this is shaping up to be quite a disaster for him. Uh, you know, they've, he's overpaid for the team. He's now looking at staying here through 2010 and class action lawsuits and other things out there. Uh, you know, just some simple math would tell you that he's looking at 100 to 150 million dollars in expenses before he can get the team down to Oklahoma City. And when you add in how much he overpaid for the team. You're looking at a situation where he may not live long enough to recover his investment on this thing. Uh, and we've also looked at all these smaller markets and seen that, 
uh, a lot of them, Memphis and Charlotte and places like that, their teams you know, do good for a few years, and then they burn out in the market because they just can't support it. And so then they look at relocating again. And this is a business model, if it is what it is, for the NBA that is uh, not something I would think they'd want to do to take a large market team and move it to a middle or small market. I don't see them having a problem shuffling the mid-market teams around, uh, exploring a new arena in a new city and getting the, you know, the short-term you know, boost that you would get from being there. But when you start swapping big markets for little markets, you start seeing the revenue drop for the league. And that's something that the, the players and the owners and the fans and nobody wants to see. Let's talk about the key arena lease for a moment. That seems to be one of the focal points of this battle now because Bennett has essentially made up his mind that he wants to move the team to Oklahoma City. Now it's a matter of how fast can he get them there. Um, So one of my questions is this. The lease goes through 2009 to 2010, and there seems to be a performance clause that essentially says that Bennett can't pay off the lease and leave town. He's actually got to stay there with his team and play those games through the duration of the lease. Explain this to us, if you would. Well, this is actually one of the key components that kept the Seahawks in town, was a specific performance clause in that lease, was the motivator that changed Ken Baring from saying, I will never sell these teams, they're going to be handed down to my son, um, to now having a situation where he goes, well, you know, how much money do you have there, Mr. Allen? I'll talk to you. So we see that as a motivator here in this thing. He thought that with arbitration that he might be able to sidestep that whole lease issue and get lucky and get out early. That obviously went south on him here when the uh, judge ruled that it was very clear that, uh, that the lease did not allow arbitration. He also cited in that ruling very clearly the very next sentence after he mentioned how bad Shaquille O'Neal was at shooting free throws uh, that the lease spelled out that they would play all games there until September 30th, 2010. So when you factor all this in there, the, and all the legal minds we've talked to, there's just absolutely very little chance that he's going to get to buy out this lease. I, I think he really was counting on some apathy up here and the, the mayor being able to be susceptible to a buyout offer, which he could have negotiated up until the time our group got the initiative going that the city council ended up adopting that now prevents the city from taking an early buyout to the lease. So let's say that he can't buy himself out of this lease and the Sonics have to play their games in Key Arena through the 2009-2010 season. Once that point has been reached, do you then think Bennett will sell the team or do you think he will move the team? Because there have been ownership groups there that I've read about that have expressed an interest in buying the team and maybe Bennett gets uh, impatient and says, you know what, I'm just going to sell this thing and, and be done with it and try and get another team to move to Oklahoma City. Well, and that's, that's what we're hoping for because we look at this situation, we look at what the, uh, the best interest of the NBA is, and that's really something that's been forgotten in all this. The NBA is sitting back and letting Clay do his thing, and they're watching what happens, but at some point, they're going to, you know, it's going to stop being what Clay Bennett wants. It's going to start being what the NBA wants because those owners are about making profits, and they don't want to have one-thirtieth of less money. So they're going to look at the situation, and if we're you know, lock them in until 2010 and we have an arena deal in the next six months, a year, whatever, that is acceptable to the NBA, and we have an ownership group that's willing to buy the team, 
you know, you're going to see a situation where David Stern's going to go up to Clay Bennett and say, look, you know, you messed this thing up. It's time to step aside. And he'll broker a deal, whether it's a franchise swap to get a different franchise down there or some sort of deal to, to keep them in town here and sell to a local owner. Uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's a multitude of options out there, but we fully expect that the NBA, when they do step in, will put pressure on Clay Bennett to, uh, you know, to cut his losses and move on. Now, it is worth pointing out that Clay Bennett and David Stern are pretty close. They've known each other since Bennett was a minority owner of the Spurs in the 90s. And uh, I guess Stern recently helped induct Bennett into the Oklahoma Sports Hall of Fame. So they do have a tight relationship. But I agree with you that I would think at some point Stern's got to look at the best interest of his league and not the best interest of one of his buddies. Last question. Howard Schultz, who owned the team before Clay Bennett, is from the Pacific Northwest, owns Starbucks. He was not able to get a new arena built. So what makes us think, what gives us hope that an arena will be built not only by a Clay Bennett who's an out-of-towner, but if a minority, someone, uh, a minority ownership group came in and said, hey, uh, we want to build a, an arena here in the future, how is this thing going to get done? Well, you know, the way I look at it is that you know, Howard Schultz went down to the legislature, didn't really know what they wanted to do, but he just wanted some money out of them. Uh, and Clay Bennett went down there. He had a nice picture, and you know he thought he might have a piece of land in Renton, but he sure he wanted 300 million. Didn't know where the other 200 million was going to come from. Didn't know what the building would be. You know, it was just kind of trust me. Give me the money, we'll sort it all out. Well, in both cases, our legislature looked down like the 7-Eleven clerk when you walk in and say, "Give me the money in your cash drawer," and they look around, see you're you know standing there with nothing in your hand, and say, "Sorry, you don't get it." But when you have a gun held to your head and you've convinced that 7-Eleven clerk that the gun is real, there's a bullet in it, and you will pull the trigger, he's more likely to open that cash drawer than if he thinks you're bluffing. And right now the situation is at the 11th hour. And actually, I really don't think it's that far out. But in this region, we tend to wait till 11.59, sometimes 12 or 1 before we get anything done. Uh, but we do eventually get it done, and this is something that we believe and if we get an arena package done, if we get, have an ownership group ready, which we do, and we have actually you know, several different interested parties in doing arenas here, the problem is Clay Bennett only wanted an arena paid for with public money that he got to run. So he's not real interested in private solutions here, even though we have some of those on the table. So um, when you get a viable package all put together, we really think that the league's going to look at this thing and say, you know, we'll, we'll step in, we'll make a deal happen. Uh, this is what happened in the Mariners, it's what's happening in Seahawks, it's what's happened around the country. You look at the Houston Rockets back in 2001, and the comments made by the commissioner was basically that they're done in Houston. Well, they're still there, aren't they? They are Steve Pyatt, co-founder of the group Save Our Sonics. You can learn more about them at SaveOurSonics.org. Steve, best of luck with your efforts, and now let's catch up again soon. Thank you very much for having me on. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, 
fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Charles Coughlin. He's the vice president of programming for the NFL Network. He's joined us on the show before. Charles, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So the NFL Network will soon begin airing live regular season games. The first game on the slate is a good one. Indianapolis at Atlanta on Thanksgiving evening. Anytime you can get uh, Peyton Manning on your network, that's got to be a great thing. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you're talking about one of the marquee guys, the Super Bowl champs, so I completely agree. Well, you've definitely got some good ones on your schedule. I was looking ahead to Week 17, Saturday, December 29th, the New England Patriots at the New York Giants. The Patriots are still undefeated. If they're still undefeated at that time, that could be a historic broadcast for you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're you're talking about a team that's on a historic run, and at the same time, you could make the argument that that could be a preview of the Super Bowl game. So, uh, you know, that could be a really, really uh, fantastic way to finish off the season, and there could be a lot at stake because in addition to, as you mentioned, the Patriots' uh, historical run, you also have the Giants, who at that point would probably be playing for some kind of playoff seating or home field or whatever. So that, that could be a very big game. Bryant Gumble, Chris Collinsworth, they called the action for your live games last year. They're going to do so again this year. The games are going to be broadcast in HD, which is terrific. Any new twists to your coverage that we should look for this year? Well, um, I don't know if there's any new twists. I think that anytime you've had the opportunity to get a season under your belt, you know, you, you get a little bit more comfortable with what you're trying to do. For, for Brian, it was his first year doing it. For Chris, he actually won the Emmy for Outstanding Game Analyst. So, um, our production guys are confident. Uh, we also, as you know, have a really good studio crew with Deion Sanders and Steve Mariucci and Rich Eisen, uh, Marshall Falk, Adam Schefter. So I think you're going to find that the game's a thing. That's always been our focus. But at the same time, because we're the first game of every week, we also have the unique opportunity to look forward at what's going to happen on Sunday and Monday. So um, we're pretty confident that with a year under our belt, our games will be uh, be better and and uh, than they were last year. Uh, although we were real happy with our product last year. My guest is Charles Coplin. He's the vice president of programming for the NFL Network. Charles, I have Direct TV. I get the NFL Network, thankfully. And in addition to Total Access, I think my favorite program on your network is uh, Total Replay and our NFL, NFL Replay. replay. Yeah. Yes, I-, I love being able to watch the games in a condensed fashion. If I don't have time to sit and watch the entire game with the commercials and the timeouts and the huddles and the halftime during the weekend, I can watch it in a condensed fashion, and I love the coaches' commentary. I think you guys do a great job with that. Well, it's very nice of you. I mean, that's obviously a show that we're very proud of, and if you take this past week, not everybody got to see Adrian Peterson's right. historic game. And there are things like that that happen every week in the NFL that fans, just by the nature of timing or broadcast patterns or they're at the game or whatever, 
don't have the opportunity to see everything. So if you haven't seen the game, then it gives you the perspective of seeing a game in a much more elaborate form than the highlights. As you said, you don't have to sit through a lot of what uh, you would have had to sat through that day. And if you did happen to catch the game, either live or on television, you can sort of relive the experience. So that that show has been extraordinarily popular for us, and, and I'm pleased that you like it so much. You know, your network's really done an incredible job with giving the fans inside access. Talk about the lengths that you've gone to to really outfit almost every facility in the NFL with cameras and audio and, and things that give you that inside access that no other network can provide. Well, you know, from the very beginning when we when we put this thing on, uh, we wanted the clubs to be our primary source of information. And um, that's one of the advantages of, of having the NFL network infrastructure that we have. So to be inside the 32 teams, organizations, and be able to report on news, whether it's injuries or depth chart or, or movements within the organization, it was always something that, that we wanted to make the core of our network and our signature show, Total Access, um, takes advantage of those team cams on a nightly basis, and it helps inform our viewers of what's going on. So a question I've wanted to ask you, um, you know, there's been some uh, problems with the NFL, Michael Vick, Pac-Man Jones, Tank Johnson. When you're covering these stories, I mean, I would imagine since you're the NFL's network, you're caught between a fine line because you don't want to damage the image of the NFL because you're their network, but at the same time, you want to be a news organization and cover the stories. Can you explain to me strategies in covering these stories when they come up? Sure. I mean, I think that what we what we are, what we sought to be and what we are, is a very credible source for information. So if something is happening um, in the world of football that is of importance, we're going to be all over the story. And um, obviously it's a lot more fun to talk about what's on the field. Uh, I think fans would rather talk about what's on the field, how games are won or lost, how teams are built. Um, you know, that's, I think, always for any uh, broadcaster what you want to be talking about. But when things do move off the field and there are issues that come up, uh, we would be doing our fans a disservice if we didn't talk about it. Uh, we like to put our own spin on it from an analytical point of view in a, in a completely realistic way of what the stories are and how they will affect the outcomes of games and teams' futures. And from the very beginning, we haven't shied away from those stories. We never will. I remember our, our first year, I think the first controversial story that came up was uh, something related to the combine with Maurice Claret. And um, we've always had the support of uh, everybody uh, at the league and at the ownership level to be very aggressive in reporting on and talking about stories that affect how the games are played and how the league um, is seen. Yeah, it's just interesting as more and more entities start their own networks, whether it's you guys or the Big Ten Network or NBA TV. Um, you know, it's a fine line that you walk because you want to protect the image of your brand, but at the same time you want to be uh, as journalistic as you can. I want to talk about the NFL draft. You guys do a tremendous job of covering the NFL draft. I think this year, this spring, is going to be your third year that you'll do the draft. ESPN does the draft as well. How do you do it better than they do? Why should I watch you instead of them? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, well, for one thing, we get started very early with our coverage of the Senior Bowl. And then, uh, as you know, we have the exclusive coverage of the Scouting Combine. So um, along with our Path to the Draft show, which really talks about nothing but players who are being looked at by scouts, general managers, and coaches, we live uh, we live that for three months. So that's one reason I think we have a, a built-in advantage, because of the programming that we focus on early 
is not just draft day, but we actually devote a lot of hours to getting to know these players, uh, getting to know how scouts are looking at their strengths, their weaknesses, and what teams are looking for, whether they're looking for the best available athlete or a wide receiver at this position or, or what have you. So that's, that's one way that I think gives us a real leg up on a lot of our competition. I think the second advantage is, you know, our talent. I mean, uh, talent's very subjective, but I'll put Rich Eisen, Deion Sanders, Steve Mariucci, Marshall Falk, and our draft guru, I think, has no peer, Mike Mayock, up against anybody. So um, I, I think that's a real ar- easy argument for us to make. Uh, let's talk about your Super Bowl Classics program. I really enjoyed that. Uh, being able to look back not only just on the announcers and what they wore, but the graphics and how outdated they are. Uh, Super Bowl Classics, are you going to air that again this year? Yeah, we are, and we're going to add some games that haven't been seen. You know, we had a, a discussion earlier today about do we show games that might have the first eight minutes chopped off or, you know, this, this quarter's missing, which is really a shame that you have to make those decisions uh, we usually will err on the side of showing whatever we have because they're so uh, they're so of interest to people. So our, the historical programming that we have our hands on always resonates really, really well with our fans, and um, I think you're going to be very pleased by what we add this season. Yeah, I mean, explain that to our listeners, if you would, for a moment. NFL Films, uh, I would imagine the archives. You know, I just picture that last scene in uh, Indiana Jones when they walk into that huge warehouse and you've got the boxes and boxes of things in there. That must be an enormous facility where you keep all of uh, the archives for NFL Films. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, it's funny you use the Indiana Jones analogy. That's a very good analogy. Um, there is, It's a treasure trove. And, I mean, Steve Sable and his people for years have – been the documentarians of the league, and um, they've kept uh, all of their material in very, very good shape. And the amount, the appetite by our fans for the history of the game, both in terms of recent history and, and you know, many, many years ago, uh, it, there's a voracious appetite for that stuff. Our America's Game series was very, very well received, and we are lucky in that we have, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of. Uh, phenomenal footage that represents the game from practically the very beginning to the present day. So we've uh, we've leaned on that a lot. We take advantage of it, and we found new ways to use it, and uh, that will continue to be a very important core part of our programming philosophy. Just a few minutes left. Uh, college programming. I've read recently where you may do more college programming, more non-NFL content. Uh, can you address that? Sure, that's nothing new. I mean, we you know we have a series called College Football Now, which we put on daily. And um, from the very beginning, we thought of the network as all things football. We've done a lot of stuff with high school football. We did a spring game last year in Nebraska. We've had the Insight Bowl and the Texas Bowl, and we'll have that again this year. I mentioned the Senior Bowl. We report quite often on college football. I mean, we look at college football as a very big part of the NFL. Um, we plan on doing a lot more of it in the future. It's very complimentary. Uh, you have the same fans generally watching it, um, and obviously our players and coaches all come from that. That's that's their, you know, sort of breeding ground. So for us, I mean, there's no reason not to expand uh, expand our programming into college football. And as I said already, I mean, from the very beginning, that was contemplated. We did it, and uh, every year we've tried to grow it a little bit more. Last question. The NFL Network launched in November of 2003 to 11.5 million subscribers. It was the most widely distributed sports network in the history of cable and satellite television. Currently, I think you're at 35 million subscribers. 
but you still aren't as widely distributed as you want to be. I know you'd like to be on Comcast, Time Warner, Cablevision, for instance. People who don't get your network, what can they do to raise a stink with their provider and say, give me the NFL network? Well, I think, you know, I'm glad you asked the question selfishly. I think people that are passionate like that really need to understand and spread the word to their fellow football fans and, most importantly, their cable operators, that they're very upset and and very disappointed that um, they're not being able to see quality programming uh, year-round that really helps shape the way the league is built. For, For fans not to be able, for instance, I mean, there's been a lot made of the eight games, but for fans not being able to see, for instance, the Combine, it's a real shame because I would argue that a lot of the decisions that are made to win a Super Bowl are are actually put into place in February and and into March and April. And uh, if you look at the way the Patriots were built this year, for instance, a lot of those transactions that take place throughout the year and a lot of that decision-making, all of that stuff, we are devoted to bringing those to fans in terms of not just news and information, but also we discussed the historical nature of what we're doing. So I think it's one of those things where if fans speak out, they love the pro- the product, and the more they speak out about it and the more they let people see it and the more of an outcry they make, um, I think the cable companies have no choice but to understand that they're depriving fans of, of something they desperately want. It's the most popular sport, um, and everybody should have an opportunity to see it. Well, Charles, I appreciate you joining me. Guests appearing during our Sports Sense segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses. Morton's a steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest you, go online to mortons.com. Charles, again, thank you so much. Best of luck, and I hope you get wider distribution because I'll tell you, I'm one of the lucky ones. I've got it, and it's a terrific network. Well, thanks for spreading the word, Brian, and thanks for the time. Thank you very much. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. All too often, great ideas from the boardroom go unrealized. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. Every week on Sports Business Radio, I talk to owners and high-level executives who are responsible for overseeing multi-million dollar businesses. And guess what? Sometimes they can't achieve everything they'd like to on their own. That's why I want to tell you about a company that's helping senior-level executives realize their potential and meet their business objectives. Sockeye Inc. is a strategic consulting firm that advises executives on three primary issues business development, corporate social responsibility, and project management. Whether it's providing a critical outside perspective or if it's just making sure your project is delivered on time and within its budget, Sockeye Inc. is the company to turn to. As a high-level executive responsible for making key decisions every day, you need trustworthy counsel that will help make your great ideas a reality. To learn more about Sockeye Inc. strategic consulting services, visit SockeyeNorthwest.com or call Sockeye Inc. founder Joe Vaughn at 503-780-3032. This is Sports Business Radio. We're back for our final segment. Adrian Peterson is padding his bank account with every yard he gains. The Minnesota Vikings rookie earned a one-time $2.45 million bonus when he passed 701 yards this season. He can add significantly to his bank account in upcoming seasons if he keeps going. Peterson ran for an NFL record 296 yards last week against San Diego. And if he fulfills all of his bonuses and incentives, he could earn up to $40.5 million 
through the life of his contract. If he's the rookie of the year, which it looks like he's going to be, he can earn a bonus of $250,000 this season. Now, the Vikings made news for another story this week, and it's nothing to be proud of. The team has docked wide receiver Troy Williams in one game check for missing last Sunday's game against those very same Chargers to attend the Monday funeral of his maternal grandmother. Now, based on his 2007 salary of $435,000, that means Williamson is going to lose about $25,000. Now, I think this is ridiculous. Williamson was close with his grandmother. He helped plan the funeral, and he was trying to do the right thing. I think this sends a terrible message to his fellow Vikings players, and it also sends a terrible message to potential free agents who could be looking at the Minnesota Vikings organization. That's not the kind of message you want to send. Listen, if someone dies and they go to the funeral, it's not like this guy took a weekend off to go party. He was trying to do the right thing. I think he should uh, totally uh, file a petition with the league and try and get that money back, and hopefully Minnesota refunds his money. Lots of thank yous on the show this week. Charles Copland from the NFL Network, Steve Pyatt from Save Our Sonics, our show staff, Nathan Roach. Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, Joe Vaughn, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Sockeye Inc. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand anytime you want via podcast. Just go to SportsBusinessRadio.com and click on the podcast page. I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week. And we'll talk to you next week. And you've been listening to Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com. <laughs>